for being here. Happy Father's Day. Uh, all you know, when you mention Father's Day, all kinds of emotions hit different people. Some, everything about Father's Day is good for some people. A lot of negative things about Father's Day for other people. But I think we can probably all conjure up a little bit of joy this morning as we think about our dads or our children or something of that nature. I love my father who has been in the presence of Jesus in heaven since March the 26th, 1970. But I didn't used to love him. I still love him. I didn't know my dad's dad because he died so long before I was born and before my dad grew up. There's no chance of that. But I loved my maternal grandfather, my mother's father, who went to be with Jesus in 1969. I still love both of those guys, and I look forward to seeing them again in the future. My love didn't die because they left this planet and went to be with Jesus. I love being a dad. I remember when each of my sons was born. I remember what an exciting time it was. And I remember the ups and the downs and all the rounds of the corner uh, as they were growing up. But I love being a father. I love interacting with fathers. I love influencing fathers as I can. I love the fact that each of my sons is a father, one with two kids, one with five kids. I love the fact that we are fathers. And I think fatherhood is connected with the series that we've been doing, uh, accidentally coming up on 1 Timothy chapter 3. So we're going to continue in this series, The Apprentice, uh, Becoming What God Wants You to Be, Instructions for Life from the book of 1 Timothy, and this is week number three of six. We continue to examine the advice that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy, this up-and-coming church leader whom he calls in chapter 1, verse 2 or 3, somewhere along in there, my true son in the faith. From the first chapter to the last chapter of the book of 1 Timothy, there's mention of being a father and being sons. Timothy was this young perhaps timid, gifted leader. And Paul was a father to him in the ministry, not just a boss, uh, not really just a, a mentor, but he was a father in the faith. And, and today we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which gives the qualifications of leaders in the church. We've been talking about leadership and, and fathers are leaders, but we get to the qualifications of leaders, which includes pastors and deacons. And father is a position of leadership in addition, one of the main things said to both pa uh, uh, pastors and deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that your family is extremely important. The, uh, the, the position of father that you hold should be an example for everybody else. And the key verse that we'll be looking at today is 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, where Paul says to Timothy about pastors, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do this in a manner worthy of respect. It just seems like a natural progression. We have Father's Day. This chapter fits so well. So we're going to continue to, to stay in 1 Timothy. And we're going to talk about dads, about fathers today. By the way, you may not be aware of this, but Pastors don't have the greatest reputation of being good fathers. <laughs> Preacher's kids are, are seen as being the worst kids around. Uh, interesting thing happened with Todd a couple of weeks ago. You know, 
many of you are aware of the fact that Todd and I meet at Starbucks downtown most Tuesday mornings, and we kind of debrief each other, you know, whether it's personal or church or work or whatever it might be. We get together and we talk. And uh, uh, there's a particular barista in that Starbucks that, you know, knows our names and talks about us. She, she used to play basketball at the University of Alabama, so she's about that tall. You know, she's really way taller than the rest of us. But, but uh, she walked, uh, Todd went in on a Friday a couple of weeks ago, and I wasn't with him. And so she said, hey, where's Jim? And that led to a discussion of what I do for a living, and evidently it caught her off guard. She was a little bit shocked. You know, I was a pastor. But what she said to Todd was, you don't act like a preacher's kid. She's obviously from the South, right? You don't act like a preacher's kid. In other words, you're supposed to be wild and rebellious and, and you're the studious, calm, intellectual kind, uh, you know, of an attorney down here. Uh, and and uh, uh, I won't tell you what Todd's response is, but the general pastor response to that wild preacher kid is our kids spend too much time with the deacon's kids. You know, that's the reason they get so, so wild. But, but the, the, the true reason is because many pastors have sacrificed their own families trying to meet the needs in other people's lives instead of, you know, focusing in on their own family first. And that's what you should do. Your own family first. Because, uh, you know, uh, it, before business, before anything else, your own family first. Because that is the most important thing and the biggest job that anybody has been given uh, on this planet. And while... Leaders are, are held to a higher standard and are judged more severely than others according to Scripture. We who are leaders are required by God to be examples to follow. So we're going to be examining this connection between pastor and father, uh, between church and family, uh, that's so prevalent in the third chapter of the book of 1 Timothy. Where, let's go to the end of the chapter to start with, not the main thought of the chapter, but in the end of the chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions so that, verse 15, if I'm delayed, if I don't get there when I want to, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And that word translated household, God's household, can mean a building, or it can mean the family and related people that inhabit that building. The King James Version translates this in the house of God. Hence, don't run in God's house. You know, this is, this is God's house right here, so don't run in God's house. Due to the fact that they didn't have church buildings when, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, it was very obvious that he's not talking about a building, but he's talking about you and me, Milestone, about those of us who make up God's household, particularly right here at Milestone. We are a family and our families should reflect, be a reflection of God's family. So let's take a look at the pastor as an example of what a father should be. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Read this ver these verses. Read the first verse already. I'm going to read it one more time. These are the focal point for the day. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. He, the pastor, must manage his own family well. And see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect for. Uh, verse 5 says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church family first? 
uh, if you can't do that, then what else are you going to do? That word manage there, he must manage his own family. If he doesn't know how to manage his family, speaks of one who has set before uh, his family as the leader of that group. And fa- that word family is the same as that word household that we read. God's household, you know, in verse 15. A pastor should have this kind of a relationship with his family because his relationship with the church is similar. And the other qualifications that we're going to read about in this chapter this morning uh, for a pastor illustrate how a father can manage his family and gain the respect of his children. It's not an easy thing being a dad. It's not an easy thing gaining the respect of your family, of your children. It's not an easy thing to to gain the obedience uh, of your children. And so as we look at some of these qualifications, I think it would be helpful. Going back to the first verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. That word overseer in the King James Version and a couple of other versions is translated bishop. It doesn't mean anything like we would think of as a bishop in the modern world. Uh, In the New Testament, there are three words, pastor, elder, and bishop or or overseer that are used interchangeably speaking about one office, the office of a person or persons uh, who are over a church. So we get into the qualifications of a leader that will show the great responsibility that comes with leadership. And most of these things apply to dads. Most of them apply to fathers. Now, uh, some people have looked at these qualifications and said, well, that, that, that excludes every man on the planet. <laughs> you know, nobody can do all that. True. That, that no dad can do all this stuff. True. It can't. Not in their own strength, we can't. But there is the transforming power of the gospel and of the Holy Spirit of God, which enables us to always make this the standard for which we reach anyway. So we're going to take a look at qualifications of pastors and fathers for a few minutes, beginning with the personal life. First, there are some things to do or things to be pastor dad. First Timothy chapter three, verse two says this. Now the overseer, the guy in charge, the leader is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, honorable, able to teach, above respect, above reproach, uh, Interesting, the word itself means not arrested. (laughs) As long as you haven't been arrested, you're okay. Well, it means a little bit more than that. Of course, no human being can be without fault, but a leader must be a man of character against whom an accusation cannot stand. People might accuse him, but they would not stand. He must not act in such a way that that people can legitimately criticize. Then there's that phrase, faithful to his wife. Uh, there has been no other phrase in this chapter that's been more discussed over the last two millennia than these particular words, faithful to his wife. Literally, that phrase means a one-woman man, a man of one woman. Many uh, versions translate it the husband of one wife. Now, when I was ordained to the ministry in 1971, uh, I was not married. And one guy, you know, the, when you get ordained uh, into the ministry amongst Baptists and many other denominations, then other pastors gather together and form what's called a presbytery to examine your qualifications. And one guy said he, he didn't think I should be ordained because I was not the husband of one wife. I wasn't married yet. I was engaged, by the way. I gave Jean her engagement ring on that afternoon. It was very romantic, you know. 
uh, <laughs> bought her engagement ring on the day that I got, uh, that I was ordained. <clears throat> but, um, uh, you know, people look at this phrase, one woman, man, husband of one wife, faithful to his wife. What does all that mean? Uh, some believe that it means that a pastor <clears throat> can't be a bigamist. I, I go with that one too, pretty much, you know. Uh, uh, Lord, can't ever, uh, if he's ever been divorced, he can never serve as a pastor or that he could never, even if his wife died, he could never marry again, all kinds of things. And each of the, uh, those things could be evidence of, of family instability and, and a pastor is supposed to be over his family, but I think it certainly means what this translation that I've read to you says, uh, a pastor and every father should be faithful to his wife. And over all other things, I think that it means that a father, a pastor, should not be a guy with a roving eye. You know what I'm talking about? When we talk about how many times you've been married, should not be a guy with a roving eye. Should not be a guy that looks around at stuff that, and thinks about things that he should not be looking at and thinking about. It does make a difference what you look at in public, what you comment on with other guys in public, what you see on social media makes a difference. And that's what this is talking about above all, all things. Jesus said this in, in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. I'm, it won't be on the screen. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. That's in the law of Moses. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, men, dads, one of the best things a father can do for his children is to be a good husband. One of the very best things. To love their mother and to treat their wife with respect. Such action teaches sons to love and respect women and teaches daughters to respect themselves and not look other places for love, but to know that they have what they need in their family. Faithful to his wife, a one woman kind of a man. That's the kind of a man every man should be. But a dad especially needs to be that. The next word is the word temperate. That means well-balanced. One version calls it sober-minded. It means to be calm and dispassionate and circumspect. Dad, your family needs you to be aware and clear thinking about things. Realistic and calming influence in situation, not the one that's uh, out uh, going crazy. The next word is the word self-control. That means you are in control of you. Other people don't have to bring you under control. You are in, uh, in control of you. You can control your own desires and your own impulses. The the fifth word is the word respectable. That's used of a man uh, living with decorum, living a well-ordered life. The sixth word is the word hospitable, which means fond of strangers or fond of guests. You know, in the ancient world, there were, uh, well, there were inns, but most of the inns in, in towns also operated as brothels, and so a lot of people didn't want to stay in those kinds of places. So uh, Jewish people uh, who had been scattered around the world would... Um, uh, uh, would open their homes to other Jewish people who were traveling, particularly if you had a letter of recommendation from your synagogue. And Christians did the same thing. Uh, Christians who were traveling would carry with them letters of recommendation from their church saying, this guy is a Christian and you can trust him. You can take him into your house and trust him. And so that was the Christian virtue of hospitality. And a pastor needs to love strangers. Uh, and anyone who wants to be a uh, a leader needs to do that. 
the last thing in that, uh, in that verse is he is to be able to teach. Now, this is one of the characteristics of a pastor that's not given for a deacon. Deacon uh, ministers in a different realm in the church. Deacons are servants, particularly in the physical realm. But the primary teachers of the church are pastors. But dads, your children are going to learn from you whether they like it or not. They may decide that they don't like you at all. But I got news for them. They still learn how to live from you. And they are more like you than they think it's possible. So, dad, be careful what you say or do. Because there's always somebody watching you. And when they're in your house, they know when you're walking the walk and, uh, and, and when you're not. They know those things. So look for teaching moments throughout the day, positive or negative images or actions, uh, you know, whether it's uh, riding down the road on a billboard in uh, movies or TV or whatever it might be. And remember this, something, I know this isn't exactly the way Dr. James Dobson said it uh, years ago, and I've read many variations, but something like this, what parents practice in moderation, their children will practice to excess. Or another version of that that I read, what parents allow in moderation, children will excuse in success. That means you allow a little of it, you practice a little bit, a little of it. Your, kid, your kids may very well take that to an extreme and go a lot farther with it than what you thought. Those are some things to do or to be. Then the next verse tells us some things to avoid, dads. 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. He is uh, the pastor, dad, is not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not given to drunkenness, probably speaking of one whose life is overly influenced by alcohol. Leaders should not be drunks, and that includes dad. Leaders should not turn to alcohol to solve their problems. Remember, what you allow in moderation, your children will excuse and excess, not violent, next phrase, not violent, but gentle. A leader, pastor, father, is not to be a guy whose first instinct is to put up his fist and punch somebody in the face, not combative or quarrelsome, not pugnacious, contentious or quarrelsome person, but instead gentle, one who's reasonable and gentle uh, with things. Now, some guys don't have any problem with that. Some guys have a lot of problem with that. Have to kind of work on keeping that under control. Not violent, but gentle. Next, next phrase, not quarrelsome. Not always ready to argue and fight about everything. You know, drop a, a, a hat. They want to fight, uh, disagree in any way. They want to quarrel. And finally, not a lover of money. A good leader cannot be all about money. And a good father cannot be all about money. He can't be all about making money so that he's always gone from home. He cannot be all about spending money so that there's never enough for the family uh, to meet their needs. He cannot be all about saving money so that nobody ever gets to enjoy the money they have because he's stuffing it all in the bank or in a sock somewhere. A father cannot be. Money is necessary and good leaders manage money properly but good leader and good leaders teach their followers, good fathers teach their children about money, but good leaders do not make life about money. That's some personal things, personal things, things to do and be, things to stay away from that were given there. Now, the second thing I want us to look at uh, is back to those important, those key verses, 
uh, the pastor father must be comfortable leading because a father's a pastor is to be a leader and a father is to be a leader so he must be comfortable leading back to those key verses let's read them again last time okay first timothy 3 4 and 5 he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do this in a manner worthy of full respect if anyone does not know how to manage his own family how can he take care of God's church the word manage I'll say again the father must manage his own family well the word manage means to be over to superintend or to preside over this very difficult job this very great responsibility is to be done in a manner worthy of full respect you know uh, not beating the daylights out of them all the time or knocking them unconscious or yelling and screaming and cursing and all that kind of thing not not uh, the kind of a dad that everybody just cringes in fear when he walks in the door this great responsibility is not accomplished by severity and tyranny, but with love and seriousness, with trust in and dependence upon the Father in heaven who gives us the strength and the ability to do the right thing the right way. It's accomplished for the good of the family, not for the glory of the dad. It's accomplished with the knowledge that, uh, that, in, uh, that the, it was established by the Father in heaven, and it is with the power of the Father in heaven. Now, my purpose today, we got into this sometime back, but my purpose today is not to tell you how to make your children obey. But I will tell you a couple of things. First of all, yes has to mean yes and no has to mean no. Okay? That's pretty simple, isn't it, Dad? Yes has to mean yes and no has to mean no. And if you have that, if you do that, you got about 80% of it taken care of. Your children will love you when that is true, regardless of what they say. You know, because we just want to love our dads. We want to love dad. We want to respect him. And we dads, we can mess up pretty royally from time to time, and our kids still love us. Live as consistently as you can for God. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your word mean what your word means. Live for God. You won't be able to handle everything that comes along. You'll just sort of blow your brains out every once in a while. Don't do that. Turn it over to God. To the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote this, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, you know, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Instead of just blowing up, you know, instead of just taking all you can take and then shooting the big gun. Bring them up in the, the training of God. Ideally, children are raised by a father and a mother who cooperate together under God to raise them to know and serve him. Ideally. Now, the ideal doesn't happen a whole bunch of times. You know, there's a whole lot of times when something else has to happen. Dad doesn't take his place. Mom doesn't take her place. Somebody Then, then people have to do double duty. So there's a lot of times it doesn't work out that way, but ideally, that's how God designed it, and it works better that way. Fathers are addressed here because they represent the governmental head of the family on whom rests the responsibility 
a child discipline. They don't always take that. They don't always do that. Then somebody else has to. But that's the dad's job. Leadership, as I've said before, is more difficult at home because they will see you all the time. You, know? you might be able to stuff it while you're at the office, but when you come home, you know, then everybody sees you for who you really are. And they know then whether you really live what you say you live. So, dads, let me, as a father and a pastor, I'm not your father for most of you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I am your pastor for a lot of you. But let me, as a pastor and a father, pray for you and ask God to bless you as we come to a close of this service. Now, after I pray, uh, we're going to have some candy, you know, and do the little candy thing that we normally do. But, but let me pray for you because I love you as a dad. Some of you are not fathers yet, but you will be uh, one day. Some of you are great grandfathers. But let me pray for you. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, thank you for being our heavenly father, our dad, Abba, our perfect example in our strength. We can't do this without you. We're going to have some fun with our kids today, maybe, but we can't do this without you. Thank you, Father, for not leaving us to do this awesome task by ourselves. You've promised you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for children. Thank you for grandchildren. Thank you for great-grandchildren. Thank you for good wives and the mothers of our children who are there uh, to cooperate with us in raising these children. Please give each dad who's here today the wisdom and the grace to love and to lead his family, whatever stage it might be in. Some are fathers of many. Some are fathers of few. Some of are fathers of children who are already with you. But we're all fathers. And we need your presence and we need your comfort and we need your wisdom and we need your grace. So Father in heaven, please bless the fathers who are here today. In Jesus' name.